Welcome to Eastern Carolina Farming. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This week's weather forecast seems like spring compared to the weekend and last week. Vendors in the tents of the Southern Farm Show had their salamanders on high. Some nice-looking paint out at the fairgrounds. I'd guess about 20% of the booths were targeting pinpoint application of chemicals. Through satellite tech, smart sprayers, or drone applications, farming is so much more technical than it was at turn of the century. One thing hasn't changed, or so it seems, to save money, you have to spend money. A term I heard someone say at the farm show scared the heck out of me. A well-restored mid-century John Deere tractor. Mid-century. It took me a while to figure out they were talking about a 1964 John Deere. The tractor was a John Deere 4020 diesel. That's the tractor that I had to tackle the other farmhands for to get to first. Mid-century. Really? While we were at the Ag Show, we caught up with North Carolina Representative Jeffrey McNeely. He represents the 84th District in North Carolina, and he's co-chair of the House Ag Committee. Thanks to Skipper Jones and the crew at Ag Carolina Financial for lending us some space to chat. And that's what's ahead on today's program. Our show is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Joining me in a moment, the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Department of Ag, Jeff Turner, who ventured to Raleigh as well. So in just a moment, we go back in time to the Ag Show. That's just ahead. This is Eastern Carolina Farming, a Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Representative Jeffrey McNeely, who is serving in the North Carolina House, serves on the Ag Committee, and you serve on a number of committees. They told me they were shorthanded when I showed up, and I've got a strong back and a weak mind, so I jumped in. So, yeah, uh, one of the co-chairs on Ag and also one of the co-chairs on Transportation. So it's uh, been interesting. Would you mind? My ditches need cleaning out. Can you arrange I, We'll that? be right down there. We'll be right down there. <laughs> I thought we weren't doing ditches I got anymore. a little girl that can't ride her bicycle in her neighborhood done sent me a letter. Seriously, want me to see if I can't pay. Her and her sister can ride their bicycles in her community. So that's going to be a toughie. So. We like to, lo- to know a little bit about the folks that we're talking with. And you've got a background in agriculture. Family's always been involved in farming. Uh, my two grandfathers both dairy farmed until they got older and then went to beef cattle. And that's about the time I came along uh, helping on the farm. And so uh, worked with beef cattle all my youth and on up and through till out of college. Father uh, took over and he had beef also. And, and I worked that. And then when he got out of the business and then and, and started having failing health, I couldn't do it all. So we got rid of our beef cattle. But now I've, I've got me three half Wagyu, half Holstein, so we're, we're going exotic. As long yeah. as you don't call them by name, you're good. That's right, that's right. <laughs> One, two, and three is what your name is. That's right. a good plan. That's a good plan. You're in the milling business as well. We are. My dad and my mother started in 1957, G&M Milling there in Statesville area, Ardle County. Ran the feed business. Moving over to North Carolina House the last couple of years, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, really the last couple of farm bills have been mostly redotting the I's and crossing the T's and making sure everything is... Lawyer speak. Yeah, basically. <laughs> what do we got as we look ahead to this year? Is it going to be more of the same? We're constantly having to, to morph our legislation to make sure that they are uh, solid because they're going to get taken to court. We, we know that. It's not a if, it's a when. We feel really good. Uh, we've done a good job preparing our legislation and keeping it streamlined, and, uh, and we proved that. We, we got through this last court case. It upheld the Farm Act, basically, the Farm Bill, and it was with a very liberal court. So uh, we feel 
pretty good going forward that uh, we're going to be able to actually feed people in North Carolina and the rest of the world by not being so overregulated and definitely not being constricted by the left coming in. There's a lawsuit that's ongoing right now against a, a hog farm. They are using a different methodology to sue the farmer, and it's called trespass. They claim that the, the, the odor trespassed on my property. Mm-hmm. Now, if that were to be, if when it gets to court, if it gets to court, and successful in that endeavor, just think about all the dust from a combine, all the dust behind a plow, the feathers from a truck, the cotton from bale of cotton. I mean, the list of things go on and on and on that could be subject to the so-called trespass. We talked about it. So definitely we're going to have to do something. You know, when that first come out, normal people just kind of laugh. You know, we're like, ha, you got to be kidding me. Well, guess what? <laughs> no, you're not kidding. we got to fix it. So that's something we're going to have to take a look at. And, and you know, I, I think in the Bible it even talks about the wind blows and nobody knows where it comes from and nobody knows where it goes. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Does the smoke from your leaves come over and affect my eyes on my place and I can go ahead and you can't burn your leaves? So where, where does this end? It doesn't. We've showed that farm was there first. You don't have a standing. And so that's where that, that's where that's going to help stop a lot of this trespass. And then 99% of the time, it farm was there first. Oh, yeah. Even if it wasn't yeah. there. I, I know. I know. You still have to, I mean, if you get sued, you, you got to go to court and defend yourself. It's, well, it's an expensive proposition. I always say what, what puts you out of business in agriculture, it ain't that you lost a lawsuit. It's probably that you won it repeatedly that's what puts you out of business because it's the fees from the lawyers that you don't have built into your margins to be able to pay your way out of these and they know that and so they'll just break you it's like playing a bad poker game and the guy's got more money in you and and there's no cap on it you just keep raising the stakes there was a bill several years ago that never made it through that ought to be resurrected lose or pay is the best way in the world to solve that issue yeah, yeah I mean, tort reform's hard to do with a bunch of lawyers <laughs> in the legislature, let me tell you. But I know the bill you're talking about, and we've talked about that. Like I said, unfortunately, there's way too many lawyers that are also legislators that don't want to see tort reform done, and that was what that would be, is tort reform. So it's real, it's real hard to get them to want to it's change rough, the way but it I, But is. i got to tell you, a legitimate case, I, I understand. But just suing and knowing that this is, I mean, I, again, a novel approach on, on to trespass, for instance, I'm certain... I'm certain that if loser pays was enacted, that suit would have never been brought. Well, I agree. In most cases, <laughs> the folks that are actually doing the suing anyway aren't the folks that are really behind the money that are making the whole no, thing no, no, work. No, no. So it's, it's definitely it's out-of-town, out-of-state money that's making all this work. Agriculture, we're at war. Uh, we have people that, that they don't want to negotiate with us. They want to annihilate us. And, and it's not about how we're going to fix this problem. It's about how we're going to make this problem go away. And the problem they're talking about is animal agriculture. And they can complain about the waste, but the truth of it is, is they don't want us eating meat. And the real truth of it is, they don't want us to make a living off of being able to sell meat proteins for other people to eat. So. On our side of the state, we talk about uh, large-scale poultry, hogs, row crops. But Ardo County is one of the biggest dairy counties back in the day. How Still is, is it now? Is it? Still is. We, we, you know, I, I tell when I first got out of school in 1986, there was around 230 dairies in Ardo County, and now we're down. I think it's 18. 
Uh, surprisingly, the cow numbers are still pretty close. Though. I was just going to say, the size of the dairies went from maybe 40 cows up to 400. Well, more like 2,000. I mean, milkers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's it's gotten huge. We still are. One thing that makes me proud of Iredell County, we're, we're kind of unique. Uh, not only a fairly large county at 180,000 plus people, but uh, according to what they told the other day, uh, 11% of the total ag receipts from the state comes from Iredell County. So out of 100 counties, we contribute 11% of the gross. Well, 52% of uh, the gate receipts for uh, the state come from the listeners you're talking to right now. So between them all, I'd say we got nearly 70% well, I, of the I agriculture. Think we, got, we got the majority. I would say. We're kind of unique in our kind of, like I said, to be that have that many people in it and still doing the ag that we are. There's, there's probably only three or four counties that do 10% of the ag in this state, and you're one of them. Yeah. Probably don't have the 180,000 people. So the population, I mean, we're fighting the population spread on top of trying to keep ag going because it's, it's a big thing. You mentioned Iredell County and the number of animals have not changed, but we talked about it earlier. We, we always talk about we've got to save these small farms. We've got to save these small farms. Government comes in and they do what they do best and they regulate and they overregulate. And a small guy can't compete. If he's got to abide by all those regulations, there's no way he can stay there. And so in 1996, when we started this whole, uh, exactly, <laughs> we started this whole process of trying to get lagoons and everything built under certain criteria, which is fine, but lagoons that had been in the ground for years. Those guys were small farmers. Uh, I'll never forget going out and having an interview with, with a guy and his son. And the farmer, had, his son had just come back from college. This was in 1995. And he stood there in tears and said, if you enact these regulations, my son can't stay here. And I'm going to have to close. So small farms go away, big farms get bigger. That's, that's how it works with regulation, and people don't understand that. Or litigation for that matter. Exactly. I mean, truth of the matter, you had a hog farmer down in your neck of the woods. It's just, hey, I'll go out. That's right. I, I can't fight this paper yeah. anymore. Here's the thing about it. Nobody complained about the, the guy that had 50 dairy cows down the road. Nobody complained about the guy that had maybe 100 sows. But because of the regulations, because of the, the ag environment that we have been in in the last, I'd say, 30, 40 years, ever since I've been out of school almost, if not before. It's been a fight. It's been a fight. The, the profits have been beat down to nothing. The grocery stores in, our, in the dairy industry, the grocery stores are the ones that kind of rule the roost on it and basically tell you what they're going to pay you to a point. Your perishable products. That's what we deal with in a lot now. What's happened is if you didn't get bigger, there's no way you stay at the same multiples. And so next thing you know, that 50 cows guy that was milking the road, well, he's gone to 500. Okay, well, 500 cows, yeah, they make a smell. Well, this is what you asked for. That's this right. is what you got. You've eaten cheap. It used to be a situation that we were a front porch nation where you knew the farmer down the street. Yeah. You just knew him because they'd been there well, forever. You, you saw him in church. From <laughs> exactly. We, now, and that is, if there's one good thing that COVID or the big, about 2015 that we started to see, is farmers going direct to consumer again and establishing a relationship with people in their neighborhoods. So many people, I think, have come to think, well, uh, I guess the grocery store just grew all this right out back. Right. I actually had one woman say, what do they do with all the milk that comes from these cows? 
And I said, what do you, what do you mean, ma'am? She goes, well, I get milk in the grocery store. Where does this milk go? And, and I'm trying to explain. I said, it goes to the grocery. She goes, no. She says, really? And, well, and the, the disconnect. If there was an eye-opening moment on this program, I don't remember who we had on when they said, look, all the corn that's grown in this state won't feed our hog industry. No. 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 So think of the acres of corn you're driving by, and that's a drop in the bucket compared to the, uh, the hog industry in this state. People don't understand that we lift heaven and earth pretty much every day in agriculture to make it happen. Yeah. 1% that feeds 99. It's amazing what we can do in this state alone, just in the state of North Carolina, how we can supply the world like we do. You sound like you're campaigning for Ag Commissioner. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I've got ideas. <laughs> in ideas, ideas. i got ideas. This is Eastern Carolina Farming, a Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Representative Jeffrey McNeely. Jeff? So as you as we look forward, we talked about medical marijuana a little bit, and wh- what do you think about that? Well, I, I'm going to tell you what. I, I've come 180 degrees. I, I've talked to so many people that say that, that it actually, they believe it helps them. Now, I don't know if it does or not. The Lord's blessed me with good health. But if they believe it helps them, I don't feel like I am all that mighty that I can tell somebody they can't have the quality of life that they could possibly get. And and I'm a true believer in that God put everything on this earth for a reason. Poison ivy and mosquitoes, I question, but I know he has an idea, and I'm not going to. And blowing flies. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but there's, it's here for a reason, and so I assume that he's also done the same thing with marijuana. There's a reason it's here, and people swear it helps them. And so I think we're going to regulate it really, really tight. And a lot of people have said, hey, this is just the start of getting it recreational usage of it passed. And I said, well, I said, I'll tell you what. We're here every day making new laws, and we can choose to do it or we can choose not to do it. And if you don't want it, then don't vote for it and don't do it. Right. But this is one of those things where I feel like we need to do it. And uh, I know Bill Rabin over in the Senate, um, good man. He's uh, had a lot of health issues, and he's really gotten behind this. And uh, if it comes up, I'm not going to be there with pom-poms cheering it on. I'm not going to say a whole lot or not nothing at all on the floor, but I'll vote for it. One of the misnomers, I think, though, about medical marijuana, everybody says, well, this is going to be a boon for agriculture, and it's not, not really. it's not grown in the field. It's grown in a building with lights, and it's year-round production. It's a boutique industry. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of folks talk about, well, this is going to be great for agriculture. It, it's not. This is not an ag product. No, no. It, it, think of this in an industrial setting. It's not going to be something everybody's growing in their backyard or in their own little greenhouse. It's going to be very, very, very regulated. Maybe so much that it might not might not survive or do so well, but that's the only way we can do this. It's a pharmaceutical. We're we're going to treat it like a pharmaceutical. We've talked about industrial hemp on the other side, which theoretically could be a farm crop. But I mean, you ask a farmer, and they know somebody who tried it and went, "Yeah, I tried that." That well, just here's the thing: I always tell everybody, until you come up with Roundup ready. And I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were going to have the boys put 100 acres out of hemp. And he said, come on up here and take a look at it. I come up there and I said, where is it? What you got there? That, that, that looks like Johnson grass. I don't, see no, <laughs> I don't see no pot out there. Until you figure that out, I don't know. I, and I've told them all. That here's the kicker on recreational to a point. 
there's no way I'm going to go with it for a lot of reasons. But one, I, I we run trucks with my business. We got about six truck drivers. I, I drive myself, folks. I'm in our tractor trailers a lot because we can't afford to hire people right now or find them to work. So I'll You're drive. keeping your CDL, are you? Oh yeah, yeah. And so uh, I've told them. I said until they figure out a way to test better than they do now because it's going to show up if you've done anything in the last 30 days roughly there's no way jeff mcneither the legislator can vote to legalize marijuana and then watch jeff mcneely the feed miller lose everything he's got when one of my drivers who had a shoulder issue right. uh, smoked some dope a couple of weeks ago and he's out there and grandma with the two kids from school pulls out in front of him and it's her fault but we hit it and he tests and he's bad from two weeks ago and the lawyers are after us Representative McNeely, what do we not ask you that you uh, would like to get across? If we do away with animal agriculture in North Carolina, it changes the whole way of life for so, so many people. They, we don't realize how far the ties creep out, the roots and the branches, too. It's a cultural change that they're wanting to bring about. And the question is, every day... A freedom is taken away from you. At what point do you draw that line in the sand and say, enough's enough. I'm an American, and I want my freedom, and I want it back that you just took. And so where are we going to be, and when are we going to say that? Take a stand. Be somebody. We always talk about breakfast, and we talk about that the chicken participated but the hog was committed. Yeah. There you go. Don't be a chicken. <laughs> be committed. There you go. Representative Jeffrey McNeely represents the 84th district in the state of North Carolina. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you, Jeff. This is Eastern Carolina Farming and Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. A couple of headlines to share. A total of 19 horses in nine counties in North Carolina have tested positive for equine infectious anemia. At this time, 17 horses have been euthanized to help prevent further spread. The counties include Duplin, Mecklenburg, Randolph, Sampson, and Wake. The majority of EIA positive cases have been associated with unsanctioned horse racing. Dr. Catherine Harris, the NCDA Director of Livestock Health Program, says... All facilities where infectious horses were discovered are placed under quarantine, which restricts equine movement. EIA is an incurable disease commonly spread by biting flies or shared medical equipment between horses. The test for EIA is commonly called a Coggins test, and there are no approved vaccines for EIA. The disease does not affect people. Foreign ownership of American farmland back in the headlines early last week. That prompted Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley to urge the Biden administration to prioritize funding that improves transparency for foreign investments in U.S. farmland. Grassley says nearly half of U.S. farmland is owned by Americans over the age of 65. That means in the next 20 years could be up to 370 million acres of farmland that changes hands. Under the Farmland Security Act, a bill that became law late last year, the USDA is required to build an interactive database to show foreign ownership disclosures. Now some market numbers. March soybeans gained 22 and one half cents in the week. March soybean meal futures rose $4.70 to $4.96.50 after trading as high as 540 cents, a new lifetime contract high. March cotton slipped 96 cents to 85.43 cents, was down 126 points in the week. 
Cotton futures fell under pressure due to persisting weakness in crude oil futures, coupled with a skyrocketing U.S. dollar from over a nine-month low due to stronger-than-expected jobs data. Cattle, expiring February live cattle futures rose 52.5 cents to 160.27, while most active April ended the week at 164.12, up $3.30 on the week. March feeder cattle futures closed at 186.10, that's a weekly advance of $2.56. Cattlemen and packers apparently stuck to their guns through Thursday, with only a few animals changing hands during the first four days of the week. Nearby February lean hog futures slid 32.5 cents to 75.02 on Friday, while most active April climbed 47.5 cents to 86.47. That represented a weekly rise of 2.5 cents. Cash hog market seemingly bottomed out, but recovery proved quite slow. Closer to home, number two yellow shelled corn was one and a quarter to 14 cents higher when compared to last week. Prices ranged mostly 730 to 794 at the feed mills and 725 to 768 at the elevators through Thursday, February the 2nd. Number one yellow soybeans were 12 to 34 and a half cents higher and ranged 1539 to 1608 at the processors, mostly 15 to 1535 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was eight and three quarters to fifteen and a half cents higher, range six seventy five to seven forty one at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants five thirty three fifty to five fifty one eighty per ton for forty six and a half to forty eight percent protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery: corn range five ninety seven to seven oh one, and wheat was six thirty five to seven eighty two. And that's this week's Eastern Carolina Farming. If you miss a show, play the podcast on demand at ecfarming.com. There you'll find links to our sponsors as well, Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. And maybe your supplier. Call Hank Hinton to find out how to support the program at 252-355-1037. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, have a great week. 